So welcome to the Red Review podcast. Hi, Jeremy. Hello, mate. How are we doing? I'm good. I'm good. We're back to our normal slot recording late on a Tuesday night. Um, back into the swing of things. It's going well. Um, yeah. Have you had a good day? Yeah, not too bad. Because yeah, normally we sort of talk about like what have you been up to, but we only recorded on Sunday, so not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like it's so long ago. I did a cocktail class on Sunday afternoon. I've got into like, well, like there was an advert on some social media, Pinterest, I think it was. Um, so straight after, almost after we finished, I went and did it. And um, it basically, the cocktail masterclass is free, but you had to buy the particular booze. So they're flogging like, this one was blood orange beefy to gin, and there's these other ones, like, you know, the kind of speciality of their thing. But actually, it was really good, like, really professional. We'll put on, they taught you different cocktails. So, Sunday afternoon after recorded, I got a bit pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking Very gin. Good. Very good. So I've got my new favorite cocktail for Christmas now, which is called a Chris Dingle. I think they just made that up, which is double shot of. Um, blood orange gin just under a double shot of orange juice fill the glass up with ice and top it up with lemonade really good i think i could get dangerously drunk on one of those because it doesn't really taste like you're drinking alcohol you're drinking a double uh, shot of gin yeah yeah That's pretty much good. necked it i was like god have another one <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then i did do some work sunday nights so that probably is i've probably just got myself sacked by saying that but then i by the time i'd sobered up on sunday evening i did some work so it's nice to have a chat with you i'm looking forward to our chat today we're gonna talk about frameworks we are yeah um i think i preempted the topic like the outcome of this podcast because on our notes i've I've called the title of this one, Frameworks Are Actually Quite Good. So I don't know how our conversation is going to go with our, our guest, but I've obviously preempted that I think frameworks are quite good. So maybe that gives my um, my views away. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're being Mr. Positivity as, as always, I reckon. Um, but you yeah. know what? I've lost your audio, Mike. No, you're not back. Oh, you're on mute now. Sorry, I, I lent on. I lent on the wire. Let me move the wire. Like ten years, probably of my life, I think, if I counted it all up, has been running public sector frameworks. Obviously, thankfully, I don't do too much of it anymore. But from OGC buying solutions, for anyone who works in the construction sector, will know that one, which became government procurement service, which became Crown Commercial Services, um, Scape local authority frameworks, you name it, NHS shared business services. So it's a topic close to my heart. And it's it's really frameworks is where I learned how to do bidding. Because mm. um, so many frameworks in our market, at least, are based around rapid mini competitions. Um, so it's going to be an interesting chat. And we got with us a chat called John, who you worked with previously. Yeah, that's right. John Mason, um, who I was on the board of JBW with earlier in my career. Um, genuinely lovely man, actually. Um, but we'll yeah, we'll we'll get into that when we uh, when we in a minute. Well, I feel like this is going to be a good chat. So we should should we jump straight into it? Yeah, let's go for it. So welcome, John, to the podcast. How you doing? Good evening, gentlemen. How are you? Good, good. Pleasure to, be with you. Pleasure to be with you. 
Good to see Jeremy again after all this time. We haven't seen each other for, I don't know, a couple of years now. Probably a couple of years now, mate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Probably. So I should I should explain ourselves, shouldn't I, in terms of how, how, how we know each other. Um, so before a lot of podcast listeners will hear that Mike and I used to work together at Mace quite a bit, which is where we, where we met. But before I was at Mace, uh, I was at a little firm at the time called JBW where John came on board a little while after me um, and probably the the sort of the genesis moment of where the business has gone to um, from there really actually I would say um, to give you to give you your dues along with it so yeah I was on the board of uh, with, with John and and uh, some others of a wonderful little business actually which yeah, was yeah, yeah. Up and uh, and sort of uh, put in on a pedestal and amongst a much bigger group that John will tell us about. But it was a really fascinating time in my career because I helped uh, figure out how to grow and sell for the first time in that sort of, that, that whole sort of entrepreneurial piece, which has been a, a skill that I've gone on to use uh, with a number of clients in, in, in different places. So it was, a, it was a really important time in my career and I've made a good friend with John. So um, we're going to be talking about frameworks today. Um, and so I wanted uh, John to come on because he's got an interesting career, having been client side and uh, both, both sort of poacher and gamekeeper, as it were. So, um, John, why don't you introduce yourself a bit better than I just rambled on about, and um, we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, well, you're right. I mean, we had a good time at JBW, but we could probably might even, could probably talk about that for a whole a whole hour on its own. Um, That's true. You know. Um, I have 26 odd years uh, kind of in in and around the procurement kind of arena. Now, when I left school, I kind of did what everyone, all your careers advisors tell you to do. And just if you didn't know what you wanted to do, just get five O levels and join a bank. That's exactly what I did. I joined a bank, joined NatWest Bank. And for some obscure reason, I found myself going from cashier to HR and I finally landed in this place down in Pentonville Road where we were doing um, – it was my first experience of contract management and being involved in contracts. And it was to do with um, – they were doing this massive rollout of um, ATMs. And I and at the time, back then, you had BT and Mercury. And there was a couple of really small other companies that were delivering – ISDN lines, killer streams, mega streams. And my job, it was called, it was, I had the push title line ordering officer. And I had the push, you know, I had the job of kind of pitching these guys, these suppliers off against each other. You know, can you get this, can you get this ISDN on the M1 at, uh, you know, Watford Gap? And when, what's your time scales and what's the cost and all that kind of stuff? And I really, really enjoyed it. And just by chance, one day, um, saw this job in Westminster Council. Uh, in the parking department. It was in 1994 when responsibility for parking enforcement went from the Met Police to local authorities. And so local authorities could so take decriminalising the offences where well, rather than going to the court or getting points on your licence, making it a civil offence. So it was a kind of... It, I joined the council at a period of massive change. And, um, yeah, I was a contract... I started as a contract monitoring officer. Then I was a contract manager. And I was a senior contract manager, and then I was a head of contract management, and you know, awarding, you know, 
con you know you know from meter maintenance contracts where you know guys had to go out parking meters remember the day when there was part of six thousand parking meters in westminster council vehicle removal contracts uh pound management contracts car park management contracts so responsible for you know writing those specifications doing the procurement uh debt recovery contracts first taste there and then i landed in transport for london in 2001 uh, as head of enforcement for the soon-to-be-introduced congestion charge scheme, which was kind of like a a massive, massive step up, um, and really, really enjoyed probably what I think what I think 12 years in total at TfL Transport for London. Ended up being director of um, um, the public carriage office, as was then in charge of all the London black cabs and private mini cabs. I was. Um, actually responsible for licensing Uber, which doesn't make me a, a black cabbie's favourite um, uh, whenever they see me on the street. Um, and then had a bit of a hand in the Olympics. Uh, really enjoyed that. A uh, bit of responsibility there in terms of kind of helping coordinate all the different transport modes at Stratford. And then just kind of just needed a change, fell out, of, fell out with the MD at the time. God bless him. And um, decided it was time to move on. And um, uh, Mr. Jamie Waller, who ran a, a, a you know a successful, very successful, but you know quite small uh, debt recovery company, enforcement company, delivering services to um, councils up and down the country. Um, we went for lunch. He asked me if I was interested in joining him. I think at the time there was an opportunity coming up for bidding for the uh, Highways England Dart Charge recovery yep. contracts and um i think that's when we first met came in on a consultancy basis because i'd been managing I'd, I'd awarded very similar contracts at tfl and um yeah kind of i haven't really looked back really loved it really enjoyed my time at jbw which is now cedar group we changed our name on the first of august for this year um having made a couple of acquisitions and um jamie sold out the company in 2000 14 memory memory doesn't do me very very well at the moment but um to um to a company called osi group big japanese company floated on the tokyo stock market i forget the figures i was on the, i was only on the board call um two weeks ago but um you know they do um construction projects in the united states they've got presence in asia uh, australia uh south america you know they really are a global company uh, a lot of it is kind of rooted in recruitment and providing uh, experienced engineer um, resources to companies, um, you know, where demand peaks and, and, and increases and reduces. Um, and they really liked the look of the company. They, they liked, you know, they wanted to kind of expand into Europe. And, um, yeah, they've been really, really great. They've been really supportive. And we've kind of gone from um, – We've gone from a company. I can't remember what was turning over when you left, Jeremy. I think it was, I think, a bit dull, something like about one point three. I think it was or something. But yeah. yeah, I mean, pre-COVID, pre-COVID this year, we was due to turn over. Our revenues were expected to be, I think, it was seventy million. If I remember, you know, if COVID hadn't happened, we've made some really good acquisitions. We 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 bought a couple of companies and brought them together so it's been yeah it's been a really really interesting career and journey I've, I've really enjoyed being as you said kind of poacher and gamekeeper i've seen things 
from both sides. I listened to a couple of uh, yours and Mike's podcasts um, yesterday and today, and um, there was a couple of couple of things about challenging. You know, when do you challenge? And that was I found that really interesting because I've, as I say, I've been on both sides, and so um, yeah, it's, it's I'm really you know just really uh, pleased to be with you guys tonight and have a general chit chat about frameworks and whatever else comes up. Yeah, thanks, Frank. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one, the enforcement and debt recovery market where your business is centred, because it's, I've said to Mike, and it's come up on the po- older episodes of the podcast, that it's the most competitive market I've ever been in. And it's really in the sort of super heat and light of, of competition in that um there's no uh, commercial element to most of your bids because the the fees are set in statute they're they're yeah. set for so it's all and there's very rarely interviews from what i remember so it's it's all down to your quality submission um it's it's you do, really- get, you do get some of the bigger some of our bigger uh, success you know our big success stories at cedar group is is the big boys you know we you know we we are on you know, we supply service to TFL, Highways England, just recently just recently, um, HMCTS, Her Majesty's Courts and Tribunal Service. You know, those those guys do a, a proper, proper procurement, very thorough interviews, uh, site visits, you know, the, the whole shebang. But you're oh, right. Yeah. Kind of, so it goes from that kind of intent. You know, the last, I'll be, I don't mind saying it, you know, the last TFL procurement that we bid for and was successful for number one number one bid um was the most intense i've ever been through yeah. and I, I don't mind saying i think it and i've said it to them themselves i think bit actually over the top yeah. um, i think that, i think that's the interesting thing we can talk about frameworks today is you get frameworks of that scale as well don't you get kind of a a dps where if you can spell your name right and you bought some insurance, you you can get on the framework and they have a million firms on it. And then you get the other extreme, which is kind of, I guess, where I spend most of my time is where you're doing tenders that last 18 months and are yeah. hundreds of pages long and, and horrendously torturous. I mean, particularly in the infrastructure sector now, we not only have interviews, but we have behavioral assessments as well, which is just fascinating to um, see how you have to kind of prepare a team to pretend to like each other and say the right things at interview not saying that not saying they're not collaborative anyway but is, you have to teach them how to pass the test which is just fascinating to but man, that's really interesting because you know for the for the tfl contract you know we 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 had to bring in external consultants for, for at least two or three modules just because it was there was an experience and a there was a there was a level of detail that we would have done a good job but because of the, the size of the prize we need to do uh, uh, you know we need to get 10 out of 10 for each of those modules and at the same time you've got this juxtaposition of or everywhere through the bid we want to attract SMEs we want to you know we, we encourage SMEs encourage you know we want you know we want to support support local businesses we want to support these things everything in the specification everything in the requirements there's no way a small SME without significant amount of resources behind it could bid for those contracts. Yeah, mm. I, I like that a lot of the big clients and TFL actually are a better one of the better ones. We'll actually be honest now and say for SMEs to access this contract, you need to be in a supply chain or 
yeah, yeah. Good, good luck in forming a consortium, but you're probably not going to get one that that coherently stands up because these bigger contracts, yeah, it's not accessible. Um, but yeah, this this it's it's interesting, isn't it? I, I'm not I'm still not quite sure if complexity of tender leads to better outcomes on a project or a commission oh, no. on a contract. Oh, no. That's probably a question for another day. So we're going to talk about frame, we're going to talk about frameworks, Jez. And I guess the first thing we we're going to talk about was we always like to think about bidding around doing deals. And do we think having a framework makes it easier for clients and bidders to do to do a deal? Is it actually making the process more efficient? Or do you, what do you guys think? Who's going to go first, Jeremy? Go on, you go first. You, you're, you're the one. Who... I'll go first. Why not? Um, so I think it does make it easier if if it's operated in the way that the sort of intent of framework should be then it does make it a lot easier certainly for the client client side so uh, i mean fun, fundamentally the, the 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 other basic option is that if it's public sector they owed you uh you know whatever owed you will be next year um, you know, they they put it out to the open market they, they will put, take it through a process of SQ now, uh, and then tender, and then maybe an interview. If it's not, and if it's not a competitive dialogue, um, and so they're in effect kind of, by using a framework and possibly paying a bit of a levy framework, they're cutting out the cost of having to do the PQQ bit, um, and they're gaining access to a, a smaller market of uh, providers that that sit on that panel, and so. And you do get actually frameworks in competition themselves. So in construction, we see quite often um, clients running a beauty parade, which framework they're going to use, uh, whether it's Crown Commercial Services or Calibo or Southern Construction Framework or whatever it is, whichever local fr frameworks it is. Um, quite often it's aligned to which providers, which they want to get hold of. Uh, but fundamentally, the 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 commercial benefit for the client is that they don't have to run a PQQ process and spend a load of time and effort marking things. They just don't have the resources internally uh, to do that effectively. Now, in theory, with the, the new standard SQ, um, could or should the government put in place a, a kind of passporting system for SQs that's a bit more rounded? Yeah, they probably could. Uh, but it's not it's not in play yet. So that's that's principally the benefit is it just takes out the the PQQ bit and the the cost and effort of that. Now, in certain frameworks in the past, like in the schools market with the Department for Education, they would have standard tenders, standard tender questions. And I know a problem, John, when we when we got on the YPO framework uh, or DPS actually, it was the first DPS I'd encountered. It was the first DPS I think in the country actually um that, that ypo launched so i have to be careful because ypo are partners of mine in in other stuff um and it, there, there had been many frameworks in the enforcement market space that had failed if you remember dim and, yeah, yeah. and you mentioned it on a past podcast actually about the challenge process oh yeah that's right yeah, yeah. so there'd yeah. been lots of uh, frameworks that had failed procurements because they'd been challenged and ypo quite smartly used the DPS model because it kind of diffuses that ability to challenge really. Um, so they just created, you know, the dynamic purchasing system is just a, a live list of providers that the client can go out to tender through in effect, bit bit lazy in, in some ways, I think. 
Um, but the problem with that DPS was um, that they the clients could ask any questions they like. The tender documents, once you'd that you'd sort of expressed your interest, could still be huge. So um, I don't I don't think there's any efficiency in that part at all. Um, I don't know. What's your view, John? It's not a million miles away from yours. I, if it's used in the way it was intended, and every time I've been to a you know a seminar or a discussion with a YPO or you know these guys that you know have, have gone out um, you know and tried to you know we've just won um, who do we win uh, Manchester again, and you know they've said that that, that they're going to you know potentially there's other local authorities that can dip into the contracts and stuff like that, and, and you know that's that's cool you know, but. There's too many examples, certainly in our industry, where they're on a framework, we're on a framework, whether it's YPO or something else, and then a very small local authority dips into that, uh, dips into that service and then reruns the entire thing from scratch. Like mm. asks a million and one, asks, you know, I was like, well, why did you even bother in the first place? Now this, you know, I've got, you know, just recent, just this year, I'm not going to mention the council just in case we meet again, um, but, you know, we had a council, we'd been under service level agreement for the past 15 years. It wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't a big money earner. There's not a lot of revenue in it. They went out, they came out. I think it might have been through YPO, but it was definitely through a framework. We worked out the revenue, it, it would just, based on the amount of questions they were going to ask, it would cost us more to bid than we would generate in in profit over the course of the contract. Just to bid. And we, we raised it with them. We, we we said this to them. We said to these guys, like, you know, this the whole purpose of this framework was so you didn't have to go through this. You know, you didn't have to ask us 52 questions. Mm. We didn't have to do, you know, 300-page response. No. Yeah. I, so I think I think in the in kind of context of does it make it easy to do deals? I think actually they become so overused they're no longer efficient. I think there are great frameworks out there, and in our sector, like those YPO in in in, in yours, there are pan organisation sec frameworks, Scape, CCS, and others that generally do get used and help to grease the wheels. But the amount of crap frameworks that come to market now, where they put it out and they might put three projects through it over four years where well, you might as well have just run out run a procurement and got the supplies you wanted or and i think it just they they a lot of them are just run now to keep procurement teams busy and i'm sure they're not i'm sure in, in theory there's a business case behind it but it does just feel like they're doing setting up frameworks because it's kind of the buzzword to do because some procurement advisors told them you could be more efficient if you set a framework up so we'll, we'll make all the all the uh competition you know bend over backwards spend you know as an industry spend i don't know a million pounds as an industry to bid to be on their framework if you add up all the costs of all the businesses bidding and then they'll never return that benefit back into the industry and it actually, I think they, they they slowly erode the profitability of the sectors that heavily rely on public frameworks like public sector construction. Just, you know, eroding eroding the value because they will get driven down your bid to get on and then they want you to reduce your fees further in mini competition. So it becomes a, a race to the bottom and, and you never return, a lot of the time, you never return the money um, that you bid. I, when I was in my previous firm, we on average at least a third of the frameworks we had bid for never returned any money whatsoever 
So we went through a bid, no bid. They put something out. Oh, we want to talk. We want to get a framework for this, that, and the other. And then we never got a single piece of work out of it. And we probably spent ten thousand pounds a time to bid each framework. Just ridiculous. Mm. I think that's that sorry. I think it has helped. They do help those authorities that, and there are still those authorities out there that have no idea what even the OG rules are. I'm sorry, it's true. You know, there are local authorities out there that you know do SLAs. You know, do I dare I say, you know, handshake and a wing type arrangements um, that should be being procured? Um, and it does. And but, but then I do think also that you need a strong, you need to be led operationally, very in a strong sense. You know, like you know, one of the things that I learned at TFL is a bit like HR for me. When I was at TFL, the procurement team were I was their client. You know, and, 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 and yes, they're there to guide me. Yes, they're there to tell me, you know, give me some advice and guidance about what the process is and the evaluate, making sure that the evaluation's fair and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to, you know, what, what's going in that, what's going in that tender, what's going in that specification, what the KPIs are, that should all be, for me, led by the people that are going to manage that service for the next five, 10 years. And, you often see that kind of level of encroachment. And if you get that level of encroachment, then it tends, I've, you know, in my, my experience is people wander off, the procurement teams kind of wander off into, into a big dark hole and they become too complex. And the more complex is, it's easier to make mistakes. Easier. It's easier a challenge, you know. Mm. I, you know, I, I, I have some sympathy. I do have a lot of sympathy because I know a lot of, certainly a lot of our clients procurement support teams have been cut to the bone. And so, you know, we're asking, we're asking the people that we face off to, well, you know, you know, this contract ran out last year and, you know, we haven't said anything up until now. You know, when you're coming out the tender, Oh God, I don't know. There's no one there. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, there's a lot of those clients out there that just kind of, you know, we, when they feel they're not supported by a procurement team because they've all been made redundant or, they're, I don't know, you know, maybe you guys know more than I do, but you know, that yeah. impression I certainly get from the outside. I mean, yeah. There, yeah, there are some really good frameworks in, in the construction space. Again, there, there's a couple of really good frameworks that really support clients who have that gap, have that capability gap, and they do bring genuine value in supporting clients through the process. Um, I won't name names because it's a bit of a political marketplace in those sort of local ones. But they're, in effect, there's a divide between the sort of proper publicly owned frameworks and then the ones that are a bit quasi private sector. Um, and so there's there's a bit of a difference in those two camps. But then even within those, there are there are some that really invest in giving the client proper advice and really holding their hand through the process, have really robust processes that the contractors and really you know really strong kpis that uh, guide the and process guide the contractors through their engagement both through bidding and then through delivery as well and some of that's being more tech enabled and things like that um so that's i think that's what framework should really bring is really adding value for the client um in in that kind of way and provide really providing a service rather than the ones that just wait for people to come to them and then just take their one percent and they're just a conduit they're just a, a post box which i have yeah. seen in enforcement and in but it, it comes back to our, the first episode of series two we had dana on our favorite american category manager mm. um talking about how procurement should be 
the you know a service function to the people that need the framework in the organization and should be looking to provide you know whether it's a framework or a cert or procuring a, a package of suppliers that best meets the needs of the of the business and part of that has to be what you're talking about there Jez, which is providing support to make sure that not just in the front end procurement but then through the life of the contract it's yeah. run effectively the, the the teams are given support because there is going to be churn both in the procurement team and in the operations team or the property team wherever it's going to be that are going to be using that framework and it has to be and this kind of comes on to our second point on the notes really but what makes good framework what what i think makes great framework providers great are those that have been doing it for a while and have that end-to-end -end service they don't just go out and buy a framework and when they're done off they go and they'll go buy a new framework for water coolers and then they'll go buy a framework for stamps they genuinely have a strategy that is we're going to buy it we're going to mobilize it and we're going to nurture and grow it so that we get the best value out of it for the organization and i think that's the difference is when there's that end-to-end -end procurement team you're going to get a great framework and also you can get better deals and you're going to get a better value out of it when you've got what you've experienced john where you've got a team that's so run ragged they can't even get get around to re-procuring the thing you're probably mm. never going to get good good value out of it because you're just not going to get that that two-way engagement of client and supplier that ultimately creates the value in a relationship. And I think we are, I think there's a lot of nerves. I think, Jeremy, you touched on it on a past podcast. There is a lot of nervousness with, you know, I can build a strong, a real strong relationship. I mean, I used to work for TFL, you know, they're my client now. I've got some really strong relationships on that. But when it comes to procurement, it's don't talk to me, don't speak to me, don't, don't breathe on me. Don't phone me. Don't do anything. They cancel all operational meetings. They don't, you know, I mean, it is like a, a nervousness about engaging with the bidder that I think has just kind of gone too far. Just, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not being disparaging about TFL. I'm just saying, I'm just, I think in general that, that, that has happened across the board, which is you can build these relationships and, and, and I've, you've talked previously, I think Jeremy about, you know, I think it was on the challenge show. You said, you know, you know, something goes a little bit awry. You might have that kind of contact within a construction industry and go, can we not just sort this out kind of between us? Can't do it. None, none, of, none of the clients that I have would ever have that conversation. Mm. Um, and maybe they shouldn't. Uh, I don't know. Um, but I think that challenge, I think that challenge culture you've talked about, and it's certainly in enforcement, it's certainly in the, in, in the industry that we're in. I'm afraid that so many of the procurements that we've been through have been fundamentally flawed, um, and, and that you know, um, and I've, I've you know I've I've been there myself on on I've been challenged I've been a been in the local authority and working for either Westminster Council and TFL it's not nice and if you've messed up you have to hold your hands up and you have to do something about it. But I've I've been I feel more aggrieved being provide a bidding i ever did on the other side i feel you know when there's been an unfairness when something is clearly unjust and i know this isn't the issue about are you, you <laughs> challenge or not to challenge you did that a couple of episodes if it's wrong i'm going to challenge it mm. you need to so, challenge hello. it Sorry. Remember when we did the challenge episode, we had to cut a load out because I'd said stuff I probably shouldn't say on, on, on record. Yeah. We're now at 27 minutes 30. When you do the editing, just pause it here and cut this thing out. Do you want to know something really fun? <laughs> so we've just had to so for the listeners, we've just cut a bit because we've just been discussing challenge. We got a bit heated. We're gonna come back to frameworks now. So um we're just saying what do we look for in a good framework? And I think what we were talking about then was 
good it, end to end contract. It's written in English. I think we concluded, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, but do you know what? It comes back to our first point. If you want to have a framework, you want to have it open so you can do deals and flex it and yeah. make it work for you long term. You, you're going to an agree agreement which could be what four years, five years, ten years, depending on which kind of regs you're working under and how it's going to be structured. So you need flexibility in it. And a client who tries to nail the whole thing down in, in the tender, thinking they're going to get a fixed price for ten years or a fixed service for ten years, is a never going to get it, and b coming on to probably a. Uh, a soapbox of yours, Jeremy, is they're not going to get the innovation over 10 years because they bought themselves into a hole. Yeah. Um, you guys know this more than I do, but I mean, is, is there a particular service that works better for frameworks than others? I mean, is it, I mean, is it like widget salesmen? I mean, I, I read somewhere uh, about tr transport and maybe social uh, services, but I mean, is there a particular thing where actually it's, it really is better? To I, go think, I think you've got a repeatable thing you're going to do lots of it makes sense so in the construction right. sector you know you got a schools building program or a prisons program or a health estate refreshization and you can be procuring lots of stuff repeatedly and you want you got a relatively fixed product and you want to uh, get some competition on that kind of product buying it time and time again i think it makes a lot of sense right. and i think it also makes a lot of sense when you have an open framework like a multi-client framework like crown commercial services or ypo where you're providing a service to other clients to open up procurement opportunities for them so you get that aggregated service i think they they work really well i think it doesn't work so well when a client just goes out and buys and i've seen it particularly in like small local authorities university sector police sector when i used to do public sector bidding which i think we do a lot less of now because i think i would have gone crazy by now um is when they go out and they buy i don't know there's a university i did just before i left my previous firm and they bought six different lots on a framework each with eight bidders on and then i think i looked the other day because i was doing some research i think they've awarded about four contracts on it so they've had 42 suppliers on and they've let four contracts and just like what was the point because procurement decided they needed a framework maybe i don't know yeah. but yeah those those types of ones i don't think work i don't think, don't know what you think Jess. uh I, I think i think you're right i think i think there's a continuum that includes where DPSs should be as well. So I got very heated on on the old LinkedIn about a month ago, I think. There's a London borough that are procuring a DPS for construction, like a couple of billion quid's worth of construction over 15 years or something. That's not what DPSs are for. DPSs are for buying paper clips and washing machines and stuff like that. It's a list of suppliers that clients can go out to for a mini bid, and, it, and the tender goes out to all 20 people on the DPS and that's that. So it was probably wrong for it to have been used by YPO for enforcement services, but it was their way of getting out of a challenge. So I sort of let them off on that one. But in my view, DPSs should be used for fairly simple stuff. And we're seeing the chief exec of CCS, Crown Commercial Services, pushing DPSs as a solution. Um, and we're starting to see these, these procurements um, pop up. And the, the problem with that is um, that it doesn't provide certainty. The one thing that we all want as businesses is certainty in deals and certainty of pipeline of future deals. And DPSs destroy all of that. They destroy partnership working, all of that kind of stuff. So that should be for simple, um, you know, really commoditized stuff. Um, and then I think Mike's right. In the middle where you've got semi-sophisticated, complex services and, and products, you should have a proper framework but that you're right, Mike, that framework should be scaled in terms of number of suppliers 
for the turnover that's going to go through it or the workload that's going to go through it. And actually, there, there should be some real thought to trying to make that a reasonable number or as few as, as possible in terms of number of suppliers so that they really genuinely get the work through it. Because what I do like what CCS have done with their construction framework that came out that was awarded last year is they've got an alliancing model in that, which there's going to be a bid for some prisons soon using that method, uh, where it actually brings you know the four winners of that prisons deal uh, the four contractors will be brought together to work together to build four prisons. Uh, so whoever comes first gets the first one, whoever comes second gets the second one, etc. But they're going to share their thinking on supply chain, on standard designs, all that sort of stuff. So it drives efficiency uh, because it's it's got to come back to value for the client. Um, and the way that we can drive the biggest value is by certainty of of workload but also time uh, so we can invest in people that drives value for the client and that should what it that's what it should really be about but unfortunately i think procurement people get boxed into a corner measured on just pound notes given now and they, they they get driven to a commoditized answer so it's, it's a bit of a shame but I, i'm hoping government it's odd that ccs are championing both dps's and then alliances because they're opposite ends of the spectrum yeah so go on then. one more one more question on frameworks and then we'll go on to hear about your heaven and hell john um we were talking about what are your top tips for managing a framework and how do you make sure you get your work share out of it um interesting to hear what 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 when you've been client side perhaps what what have suppliers done that has really worked well to help them get more work um do the job you're paying them to do <laughs> not giving me grief we used to call them i mean in the industry that i've been in since 94 it's, it's, it's been enforcement it's not a, it's not a particularly nice environment and uh, to be in you're not you know you're issuing penalties i mean i went from issuing penalties for westminster council in clamping cars to introducing a congestion charging scheme that was the misery of thousands and thousands of motorists to then upsetting every black cab that drives around central london um have you no. seen by the way that um road charging is back on the agenda well do you see that it's in rishi's potential yeah, well, plan rishi's well, well, plan yeah. is you know but i've been saying since two it's great because like road user charging is great it works perfectly and they've got to do something to, <laughs> you, to, you would say that as an enforcement company he's thinking well, about, no, yeah. no, actually because if they went down the bike actually to be serious if they went down the route that they've talked about until they're blue in their face they're talking about distance-based charging yeah yeah distance-based charging i'm out of business in terms of the services that i provide in time because mm. you what you have to do and, and you know this is a different podcast but you have to run two services unless you can make distance-based charging work for 35 million vehicles overnight it means you have to have two systems running in parallel for a considerable amount of time because yeah. you need npr base to pick up people that haven't got distance based obviously what you do is you encourage people to take distance based because it's cheaper to do distance based than it is to do uh charging based or zonal based but anyway that's a whole different thing but yeah it doesn't surprise me um that it's back on because because obviously the more we go down this route of emission vehicles you think you know the v uh, the the revenue that's coming in through petrol and excise duty and all that kind of stuff it's called ved still it changed didn't it? there just needs to be 
a, a solution that's going to fill going to fill the coffers. To be honest, with yeah, you. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I love, I love my electric car with right. never, never having to fill it with petrol again, and I think it costs me about ten pounds a month to to keep it running. It's nothing, but, is it? So, so the, one of the podcasts I listened to, and I think it was an old one, Jeremy. You was talking about your car breaking down. You was going to buy an electric car. Did you buy one? Not yet. No, I'm going to wait till the new year. I think, um, but I will. Tesla, you're going to be a Tesla man, aren't you? I can just sense it. My wife won't let me. She doesn't like it. I don't like Elon. All right. There um, you go. It's a bit of a shame, yeah. A bit of a shame because I can stuff anything through the books. And it's pretty decent. But... As, a, as, a service, as a service provider, you know, we're on frameworks and some of them are call-off frameworks where, you know, you, you know, a local authority, you know, like YPO, a local authority will say, I want to use YPO to go out and, you know, there's, there's a list of seven or eight service providers that run YPO and we're going to do a mini little competition and whoever wins will give we'll give the work we'll spin it 50 50 yeah and other other frameworks that we're successful for they basically say right at the start we're going to we're we're awarding this direct we're going to award it to three suppliers or four suppliers and we're going to reduce we're going to increase the workload to the most successful supplier and and so that works for us but it only works if it's fair it only works if the measurement and again jeremy you'll remember this how many times that we saw where they said you know we're going to manage your performance but the management of that performance was flawed because it I've relied on data that the service provider was providing or you know just it just you know so frameworks work and and making sure you get your allocation of work works but you have to be really clever at the tender stage if, if some you need to really pour over how are they going to manage performance and how how is that decided that you know you're going to get work or you're going to get an increase in war, uh, the caseload that's going to come through and does it make sense and if it doesn't you need to ask those questions before you submit your bid and um, you just need to be smart about it and then once you're obviously in the operation you just need to perform and if you don't perform you can't you can't really moan that you're not getting the work and it was yeah it was so black and white in your game if you perform yeah because it's 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 basic stats isn't it um and and kpis um so i think some of the some of the smartest stuff i've seen in terms of um smart things that providers have done to service and, and gain their work or, or propel their work share what well, one thing there's, there's a lady called lizzie stewart who's quite senior at atkins now who i used to work with at ec ec harris years ago and she used to put in a commitment register into bids both private sector and public or infrastructure ones that showed it, and they used to bind it into the contract that they were making commitments through the life of the framework and they'd measure them as milestones through the life cycle of the the framework so they'd commit to having so many apprentices or improving performance by x percent or whatever it was and they'd literally have it in the front of the bid these these are our commitments we'll measure these at these milestones um and so you you really set yourself up for you've you've got to do that stuff um so that's quite a powerful thing to do uh, I, I've not seen often because it's a it's a ballsy thing to do, and obviously you need to be aware of how the framework works and the. We've got clients who who build that in now. Though I mean, maybe they've, maybe they've adopted it from from Lizzie, but um, hopefully I'm working with Lizzie on something right now. I haven't so seen it. Yeah. That sounds good. Be, but we had one. Have I ever told you about my paint my paint tin? No. So, so I led the bid, Jamie, for this this consortium we called Perfect Circle, which I thought was a great name until I realized that the fake marketing company in that BBC spoof program, W1A is called Perfect Curve and uh -huh. forevermore 
got got ripped to shit for it. It was that or like the branding consultant had come up with like the innovation collective. So it was the best of the two options. Anyway, you had to do you had to do commitments. So we had 127 commitments in the bid that we'd been that we'd picked up. So we'd gone kind of balls out on commitments because the marketing scheme was on commitments. And then when we were preparing for the interview, and I think it was we'd gone a bit bid crazy. Someone was joking, said, "Oh, you know, our catch, our, our tagline should be we do what it says in the tin because we're going to do these 127 things and that's going to deliver this great value for them.'" And then somehow, at like 10 o'clock at night, we came up with the idea that we'd put our 127 commitments into a paint can, and then get the chief exec of the JV on the interview to have that as his tagline when he like finished his presentation. So we ordered via Hobbs the graphics repo company, especially printed perfect circle paint tin, which we hid as we went into the interview. Richard did his big thing and you know, and his last line, I always remember it was like, when we've said, we've, we've, we've set in our beard an ambitious 127 frameworks and just like the advert, we'll do what it says in the tin. And he dropped this tin down on the uh, table when we thought, oh, you know, it'll go down really well, laugh, literally silence. Just the, the evaluation panel just looked at it no one did anything and then mark robinson the chief exec went oh, get me coat yeah <laughs> he went, yeah okay then thanks for that let's carry on and then for the whole interview this oversized painting just sat in the middle of this conference table in their boardroom for two hours just staring at me like this was the, this was going to be your big joke and it failed miserably um and then and at the very end when we finished the one of the one of the evaluation panel gone then let's have a look inside opened it pulled it out and it was some really rubbish commitment and he literally read it out and went oh that's a load of shit put it back in and put the lid on and that was the end of the interview we won and it's been like the biggest public sector framework in construction consultancy ever but yeah it, it just those those kind of commitment things you think we thought it was a great idea and it failed miserably but scape have learned their lesson now and you're only allowed to put 10 commitments in your commitments register. So they've got to be good ones now rather than what we did, which is like, just okay. just commit to everything because I'll never be able to measure it. Not not saying that was the strategy of Perfect Circle, but it was. Commit to so much they can never measure it. Uh, I, I think another thing is obviously about chips and you've got to have a really decent framework lead or frame, framework manager, but they shouldn't just be a salesperson. They've, they've got to have some real uh, credibility i think i don't know i think i think that's a thing that a lot of people do get wrong with with frameworks particularly kind of volume doing lots of volumes of frameworks because they get on them and then just sit on them and don't do anything and mm. whether it's a salesperson or a technical person it probably depends on what the framework is if you treat it like an account and you nurture the relationship and you get to know the different stakeholders in the client organization and you start chatting with them that's how you generate the work through the framework and and I we found I found it running frameworks previously where you know we were in with a utilities client and it was a pan utilities client framework but it was being primarily sponsored by one particular department and it you know we went and spoke to other departments in this client and they had no idea they had this framework and they they could appoint us through and we got all sorts of work because procurement had set something up and we'll make it let's call them national grid, make it national grid wide. And turns out seven out of 10 departments in national grids property team didn't know that they had this framework. So we, we had almost free reign to go and get a load of work. So mm. I think relationship man, relationship management is so important mm. on managing a framework and getting a share. Partic particularly direct awards. We haven't really touched on direct awards and it's less less relevant for John's market, but uh, that's a that's a real power play in in frameworks is as a supplier being able to work up a solution with a client 
and then just use a framework as the conduit to get it through procurement as a direct award if you shape it shape it right there's there's a lot to be done with that yeah look we've got to we've got to the i'm just conscious we've got to like 46 minutes already although we'll we'll cut out a little bit out let's move on and, and let's have a go john with your heaven and hell so we ask all our guests to give us their bid heaven and their bid hell so perhaps you can give us um you can choose what you'd like to give us first um i suppose i suppose bid bid heaven i mean what what the the thing that i'm most pleased about the bid that i'm most pleased about bid, yeah bid you enjoyed what? the most your biggest win something that went really well oh, that you'll always I, remember from, from a service provider point of view it's got to be the tfl contract we've just won because i was just i led it from start to finish i wrote shit loads of it <laughs> um I poured over every single page. I got the external consult consultants to work on it that we needed, including some ex-colleagues. Um, and actually, to be fair, I should be sacked if we hadn't won it because with our performance over the past 10 years, we was number one service provider, always maintaining. I mean, we'd, we'd had, um, Jeremy, remember, when I actually joined, we was going through a rocky patch actually with TFO because um, we was performing well, but we wasn't uh, the quality of service, customer service was absolutely abysmal. So actually part of my job when I came into JBW was to turn that around, which we did, or I did. And then, um, yeah, so I mean, and that's that's not an insignificant contract when you think about the projects that TFL have got on, expansion of the ULES next year in 2021. Um, things like uh, Lower Tem, uh, sorry, no, uh, Silvertown Crossing and um, Blackwall, Channel, channel. Yeah, so those are all charging schemes. Those are all charging schemes that we might benefit from. Um, and yeah, it was hard, hard work. It was really hard work. Um, I've, I'm very, very fortunate that I've got probably the best um, contract manager, uh, a lady called Sally Nicholas, who, um, or a young girl called Sally Nicholas, who joined as an apprentice. And is absolutely smashing it as a as a contract manager for TFL. So that is my heaven. Um, great contract, great people to work with, very professional. Um, know what they're doing, and that's because they used to work for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I should say I was booing Silvertown Tunnel because I live in Newham, oh, right. um, and it's got it's called the Toxic Tunnel here because oh. um, no one wants a new tunnel emptying, emptying traffic straight right. into Canning Town. I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, that, 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 you know, it's just, just to be, just to submit such a, uh, an important bid and just to be kind of get, you know, get the feedback that you got and for it to be such a big, um, big contract for the business, such an important contract for the business taking us forward again. Um, that, that's my heaven, but, um, hell, there's so many to talk about. It really is. I don't know where to start. I can tell you a hell. I tell you a hell story about. Um, so I'm in. So obviously I'm in. I, you know, we're in the industry of providing enforcement services, and and most people go through procurement processes. But when I first joined Westminster Council, um, all of the all of the what was known as the bailiff services were done on a nod and a handshake and a wink and 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 stuff like that, and it was all pretty new to to the council at the time. And I just always remember we, you know, we hadn't awarded anything, we hadn't engaged anyone in in debt recovery, and and basically I encountered, I think it was in Ilford, I went to see this this bailiff company, and that was hell, 
um, because it was scary just just how um, murky I think the industry that we used to skim around the edges were. And I remember he gave me the card as I was leaving, and it was like a a picture of a a bloke, a masked bloke with a with a, a baseball bat, and it was you know JBW. No, no, it wasn't JBW. <laughs> it was oh. JB. JB and Sons or whatever it was. It was, you know, it was like, we don't fuck about. Um, but actually, when I look back on it, whilst that was, hell, you know, when you think about that, that was, that was you know, that, that was the kind of organization, that was the kind of companies and service providers that, that local authorities used to engage with, you know, without a contract, without a competitive procurement, without any level of service levels or KPIs. And what we're not talking... We're not talking 50 years ago. All right, it's not 1994, you know, 26 years ago. So, you know, half a century, uh, half, you know, quarter of a century ago. But it seems like, it seems like yesterday to me that, you know, and actually things have got so much progressively better. And and for the service that we deliver, and, and a lot of that is down to competition, you know, the procurement process, clients having very clear specific requirements, having very good levels of key performance indicators, having consequences for failure. And if I mess up on one of these contracts, they're going to turn off my pipeline of work. And so, you know, the amount of money that we have to invest in training, the amount of money. So I kind of, that's the hell that, that I experienced, but actually it's done me in good stead you know, in terms of my understanding about just how we're always a whisker away from, um, you know, losing work and we have to be on our ball every single day. And, you know, I know we get bad press, but people really don't realize just how much money, time and effort we invest in, you know, making sure we do the right thing. So it, it was a hell, but it's a hell I think we had to go through as an industry and, and this, you know, procurement, you know, evolution to get us to where we are now. And there's always room for improvement, but mm. I'm sure it will improve. Mm. We'll go on. So I hope that was okay. Yeah. Nice. I like that. Jez, the final thing we've got for John is the quick fire questions. Have you got the notes in front of you? I do, yeah. So go on. Let's 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 do these speed dates. quickly then, Jeremy. Go on. Uh, so, an under uh, an item under fifty quid that you love to give as a gift. Uh, one quid. <laughs> uh, not to clients. <laughs> Seriously, uh, flowers. Say with flowers always to my wife, to my to my mum. He's a smooth operator. Is 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 my mate, John. Uh, your favourite quote. Oh Christ! Um, I could think of something from someone famous, but I'm just going to say assumptions are the mother of all fuck ups. Very good, agreed. Uh, your favourite podcast, other other than ours? Yours is fantastic. Um, I, I did a, I did. A, it's the uh, Twin Chat Show with Mason Gems. My own podcast is oh, is okay. a particular favourite. You should check out. Uh, your listeners should check out. It's just me and my partner, Gems, talking about how our life, bringing up twin daughter girls. We've let it go off the rails since COVID happened. Um, there's about six or seven episodes on there, but we've made a commitment, maybe a New Year's resolution, to get back into the studio and do it again. So, um, yes. So I'm going to unashamedly plug my own podcast, which is available on Spotify and Apple and wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> Very good. 
Uh, and then the last one then is uh, one piece of advice you wish you'd had at the start of your career. I d well, oh, that's a tricky one as well. When I look back and I wish I'd, I wish I'd kind of, I wish someone had told me I should spend a little bit more time on career strategy, on, on kind of work, on, on self-investment. Mm. Not just going, I'll do it and taking, you know, I'm, I don't know. Does that make sense? I just, I, I don't, I saw people a lot less competent than me, you know, absolutely appalling people. You know, you've met them, you know, you've gone, how the hell did you reach that, this point? How did you reach this position and this level of authority? And it's because they had a plan. I never had a plan. Every job I ever just went into, I just kind of fell into by mistake <laughs> in a way. Uh, I've been lucky, but I, you know, I've worked hard for it, but I just, if I, I just wish I didn't I didn't realize I didn't realize back then that there's nothing wrong with trying to plan where you want to be. I don't know if that makes sense, but I just never spent time and I never really invested the time when I was at work in just working on what skills do I need to get to get me to where I need to be and that kind of stuff. Well we have a we have an episode on that we should point out. Oh do you? I should listen. <laughs> <laughs> Forbidding people, I guess, but we've right. Thoughts about some of that, so I'll have to point you to it. Well, thank you, thank you very much, mate. Really appreciate you spending the no, time. Yeah, it's been great, John. Yeah, I've really appreciated speaking to you, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to more of your podcast. I will subscribe. Thank you, mate. And when Aye. the help out, we'll uh, we'll have to go for a beer. Oh, most definitely. Well, I'm I'm thinking third of December. <laughs> 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 from, from a decent distance and it's been nice to meet you mike i don't think we've passed or crossed in the past but hopefully no. in the future. very nice john thanks for joining us no much appreciated so, right I'll, I'll end it there jez we need to intro an outro don't we now? Oh, we need to do an intro and outro don't we so I'm gonna, i'll kick john out of the uh off the chat now no worries thank you very much. i didn't realize, i didn't realize you got a podcast john if if um if you if you ever want to share tips on how to get how to do it, then we then just give us a shout. I forgot most of it. The last one I did was back in I think it was March or April. I mean, I've done we did six or seven, and uh, my partner suffered a bit of a few issues with mental health, and, and she found it really therapeutic. And the more the better she got, the less she wanted to do them in a way. <laughs> a bit weird. Um, I don't know. I don't know who you guys use. I use Audio Boom. I put all my stuff through that, and it just well, yeah. We we used to use we used to record an anchor. Then we went to Teams, and then just rip the audio off. And now we use this because this is good. But this is good for getting. So I, we we've only we ever done do fun it. things like this, and and yeah, change the backgrounds. We've only ever done it in like in the kind of just us two talking. We haven't had any guests, so it's just been me and Gemma in the same room together. Because obviously we live together, it's easier. Whereas unless you guys want to move in together, so. <laughs> So it's easier. For, so it's it's quite easy for us because what I do is I just record that to GarageBand and not upload it like that. But my friend um, Bob, and me have been talking about doing one about our uh, uh, my friend of mine from West Ham has been talking about a Brit a Brit film podcast because um, there doesn't seem to be one out there which just focuses on Brit film. So we've got, I've just texted him just before the came on saying. I'm going well, on. Well, we, we we use um we used Anchor, which is an app, and you just do it on your phone. Right. So you don't need all the gizmos, and you can even edit and put background <laughs> music on. This looks good. And then this is yeah. So this is our 
this is our upgrade. This is StreamYard, and I when we like finished, you, yeah, you, you, you can download the video or you can download the audio, so we can. No, I we, might, I might have a look at this for um, because I've got this other thing called Ecam Live, but it's really, really complex. Yeah, <laughs> this is really simple. I don't know what the, the editing's like because Jeremy does the editing in iMovie or something, don't you? In iMovie, yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on Anchor, if you're just going to do audio, it's free. Number one. Number two, you can just use your phone, so you can just have your headphones in and do it. So obviously, you don't you don't get a video, but if you're doing a podcast, only doesn't really matter. And it distributes to all, so we still distribute through Anchor, so it goes onto every oh, right. every platform for free. So the whole thing's free. So um, I don't think you own. I think they own your podcast. But, oh, do they? But but it's not like we're going to make millions out of this. I think I've we've had one. Guys. We've had one sponsor <laughs> in two years. Great. Awesome. Better, than, better than nothing, guys. Better than nothing, you know. Yeah. Well, look, it's been a pleasure, and I, I hope that's what you was looking for. And that was great. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. No, I yeah. really enjoyed it. And Jeremy, well, I'll take you up on the offer, and um, I'll buy when, when we're allowed to. We'll both we'll all go out for a beer or something. Yeah. yeah look cool. Forward. Thank you, mate. Bye, Speak bye. to you. Oh, great chat, Jez. You your track record for securing fantastic guests is. Um, You've continued your winning streak. That was a brilliant chat. He's a good bloke, John. Really genuinely lovely man, actually. And you know, not not all of my time at JBW was was pleasant. Uh, it was a really bloody hard job. Really, really competitive market, as I said. Um, and he was a great ally. He was a wonderful addition to the business at the time. And he's he's absolutely smashed it out of the park. He's got you know he joined a fairly small business. It, it ain't now absolute monster they've, they've yeah. done a lot of acquisitions but they say 70 million a year they're turning over just in enforcement services and yeah but you know, in the perspective how profitable that service is it's very profitable by the way uh it's yeah it's big big business uh, and still you know and lots of other friends still that business too so um, yeah really, really lovely to hear how well they're doing but really great in that client's perspective and and as a supplier that, and a supplier that's grown and grown to different leagues really so um yeah it's good yeah. so what have you got planned for this week then anything interesting what have i got planned for this week that's a good question <laughs> um, it's my birthday tomorrow actually um, oh, is it i didn't know on the 25th of november we're recording this on the 24th of tuesday we've just um, missed the, the bake-off final yeah we've just missed the bake-off final um so um yeah, but I'm back to back, to be honest with you. My mum's going to pop round and hand me my birthday cards tomorrow, possibly, uh, if, if that's allowed. Uh, that's about it, I think. Um, maybe a little bit of a celebration, just me and Jules at the weekend. Uh, lots of work. Yeah, the diary's very full this week. Um, it's I'm, I'm in a team's hell at the moment of just... <laughs> And then just for excitement, sometimes I swap to Zoom, and that's about you know sort of exciting as it gets, or you know, or someone forgets to take themselves off, <laughs> <laughs> and someone it is you, and you're like, "Fuck off!" <laughs> I didn't come off mute for a reason because I wasn't listening to you, and I was hoping you weren't going to ask me a question. <laughs> but no, all the plates are spinning and all the things are going in the right direction. You know, I've got some really good clients and doing some interesting stuff at the moment, but there's just a fair bit, fair bit doing. That's all. How about, how about you? Uh, I've got a big 
construction bid going in end of the week. So um, actually on my floor in front of me are the final org charts that I've been kind of pouring over to make sure they're all consistent and um, sending the right message. Um, everything else has gone through copy editors and um, graphics and everything else. So this is the final thing. Um, but yeah, no, apart from that, get that off and then i've got quite a relatively quiet week actually i've got a bit of a quiet full storm there's a couple of things i was hoping that were going to come out to market before christmas the one particularly where I'm, I'm the bid director on it um and it hasn't come out so we'll see i'm i'm going i'm taking leave i'm taking the last two weeks of december as annual leave to get make sure i use my leave up for the end of the year mm. and um I can tell they're going to come out on like the 14th of December, my first day of holiday. Mark, is the tenders out? Fuck off. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I saw, I saw the usual annual impassioned uh, LinkedIn post from somebody. I've gone and forgotten who it was. Not somebody I'm too close to uh, today about, you know, bastards sending out bids on Christmas Eve or just before Christmas or whatever. I commented. Yeah, I, think, oh, I, think, I think you liked it. I commented, yeah, because I genuinely, genuinely had. And it was my first ever bid I did at Mace. Maybe I shouldn't have said that because people work out who the client is. It was a government department. They put a bid out, and the bid was due in on the 28th of December. Like, short turnaround, fast track uh, framework bid, and it was due in 28th of December. Twats. And actually, we get it quite a lot quite a lot we get a fair bit in the middle east where clients purposely put bid deadlines on like the 25th of december and stuff just to kind of make the point particularly kind of royal clients make the point that it's not a special day so put the deadline of the 25th of december so i've working amazing some middle east bids have had that quite a few times where they put big property deals where they know western companies are going to be bid and they'll put the deadline on the 25th of december just to just to piss them off um, but yeah, I did comment and shared my experience. I didn't say who the client was, and I won't do because we won anyway. So um, you know, can't help, can't, can't help but win. But um, yeah, they're, what what a stupid thing to do. And and to be fair, the post I know it comes around every year. It is a fair challenge, isn't it? Everyone's on the wind down for Christmas. You want to get the best out of your suppliers. You've had all year to run your procurement, and you decide to put it out on like the. 16th of december with a return date of the 10th of january and be like oh you know we are compliant with og regulations and working time and that sort of thing because they got you know some of the days between christmas and new year's count as working days just stupid jeremy just stupid but and very rude this year that's that's yeah especially with like the focus on kind of well-being and mental health and stuff we need to be supporting teams not beating them up Mm. Anyway, I'm trying to remember what we're talking about on the next episode. It'll come to me. But um, it might not. It might be our deep dive episode. We kind of did that at the weekend because we didn't have our procurement colleagues with us, didn't we? Mm -hmm. So we might have had a bit of a reshuffle on episodes. We've got some good guests coming up and chats around various things. So looking forward to it. Um, This this has been an extra bumper long episode because... We did a short intro a while back, and then we've had quite a long chat with John. Yeah, you still yeah. got to remember to cut that bit out. Uh, <laughs> when I revealed that we we're in the middle of a, a challenge or two. Um, 
but um, yeah, I think that's a sign of the times, you know, just a final kind of observation. Clients are getting not as good giving feedback and are starting to open themselves up for challenge and scrutiny. And obviously in that market that you and John worked in the enforcement market, it mm. you've talked before it destroyed the market for a bit because clients can get through and I think um Yeah, it still still does. I still have clients who have failed three, four yeah. It's silly. Um and just a real pain in the ass to be honest. Just John's advice on that's absolutely right. Just keep it simple. Um, yeah don't, don't make these things overly complex trying to be clever yeah and have a scoring scheme that spreads the marks out that's probably the other big thing i think clients try and be too clever and everyone's marks get so close together it encourages yeah. people to challenge because they're like half a percent out and you could find you can find an argument around half percent if you were 15 percent away you'd be like forget it yeah. well, we, didn't, we didn't deserve to win it but when you're a couple of percent or half a percent or one percent away you kind of get a bit fired up. You're like, bloody hell, I was well close. Look, look, it's a bit like the speedboat. Look what you could have had. <laughs> uh, anyway, look, on that, we'll leave it. And um, we'll say thank you very much for joining us on this episode. Yeah. Cheers. I will see you next week. See you next time, listeners and viewers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.